open up to the book of Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 1 and Exodus chapter 2. We just finished up three weeks with Joseph, and we're going to jump into a couple weeks with Moses, looking at Moses' life. So Exodus chapter uh, 1 and chapter 2. My title for my message today, if you're taking notes, is When God Writes Your Story. When God Writes Your Story. Now I have this, uh, does anybody know what chess piece this is up here? It's a king. How many of you didn't know that? How many chess players do we have? Oh, we got a few. You know, I remember in high school um, trying to learn chess, and I think, you know, I learned, you know, it's, it's about strategy. And really, if I could define the word, it's about getting the piece in the right position, right? getting the piece in the right position. So I wanted to bring this out today because the game is about getting the piece in the right position. But when we're going to look at our lives, we want to remember this. God is putting you in the right position because he writes your story. And that's why you got to look at him. And that's why we trust him. Now, I like checkers. Checkers seems to be simpler, doesn't it? I just kind of move at an angle and forward, and then I get a king, and I move backwards, and it doesn't last as long. Chess kind of reminds me a little bit of life. It takes a long time. You've got to be really patient. You've got to think. You have to think what's happening on the other side. So, but it's all about getting you in the right position. And I think that's what we see as we come into the book of Exodus that God is positioning certain people at certain times. And do I wish God was quicker? Absolutely. But he has his perfect time when you trust him. You know, we've read before in Romans, the reason we're going back even this year into the Old Testament is it gives us three words. that we're, It's to instruct us, it's to encourage us, and it's to give you endurance. For the 5K. It's to give you endurance. So tell your neighbor you need endurance. <laughs> tell your neighbor again, you need endurance. Right. And that's an encouraging word today for you. Need endurance. Uh, so Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. Let me read this as we've been reading each of these different people. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Wait a minute, by faith, Moses? Did he hide himself as a little kid? Hey, mom and dad, you need to hide me for three months. He talks. <laughs> three months, he talks. No, who had faith to hide him? His parents. Look at that minute. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. Oh, wouldn't it be great in the Bible if it said that when you were born, you were beautiful? But have you ever seen an ugly baby? You have. How sad you are. Would you do that to somebody? You go see them and you see their baby and you go, oh, let me pray for you. No, every baby's cute. Well, Moses was beautiful. They were not afraid of the king's edict. Let me read that again. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. Wait, shouldn't it say they knew that Moses was a special child and that God was going to use him to be a deliverer? They hid him for three months. What, what do you think was happening? Well, they had faith in God, but God was positioning 
Moses for a purpose. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. When the apostles are told, you are not allowed to preach the name of Jesus any longer. Do you hear me? And what do they do when they get outside? They go and preach. We're going to listen to what the Lord says. You know, there's a reference in uh, Genesis 15, you can write it down and look up later, that God tells Abraham that this nation, the promise of, that I'm telling you, they're going to be uh, enslaved for 400 years. And so this is not anything new. Remember, as we were looking at Joseph, Joseph is the one that saves the nation of Israel by getting them all into Egypt. But as we pick up this story, there's a king, a new king of Egypt, that didn't know Joseph. You would think in the history, how the Egyptians knew history, you would think that there would have been some respect for Joseph, some respect for this nation called Israel, but he did not know Joseph. And he's going to look at this little nation of people as a threat. So let me pick this up in Exodus chapter 1. We're going to read along here these few verses. Verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, that they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from our land. You know, I wrote in my Bible, he is afraid of the people. And notice the last thing, what he's really afraid of. He's afraid that they're going to escape. He wants them there because he, he's going to now enslave them to work for him. Well, we read this, we pick this back up in verse 11. Therefore, they sent taskmasters over them to inflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Phitham and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. And they made their lives bitter and with hard service in mortar and brick. And in all kinds of work in the field. In all of their work, they ruthlessly made the work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of them who was named Sipra and the other Pua. Isn't it funny Bible names sometimes? We read Joseph, we read Reuben, we read all the, and it's like Sipa. Who are you going out with tonight? Sipa. Oh, okay, that's an interesting name. Yeah, don't ask her about that name, you know. Her sister's name's Puha. <laughs> Interesting names are here, but look at what they say. When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on their birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. Let me read that again. The midwives feared God, and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? 
and let the male children live. And the midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. You know, when we read those stories, you should also be thinking in the New Testament of uh, a man named Herod, who when the wise man didn't come back to him, his actual command was for all of the male children ages two years and under to be killed. Interesting that um, when we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that God uh, mentions the curse over Satan, over Eve, and over Adam, that in one of the things that's mentioned over Satan is that there is going to be a seed that's going to come and crush your head. Now, Satan doesn't know what seed, what person, who it is, but he's going to make sure throughout this that if there is anybody that's going to rise up that could be whom God sends, I'm going to make sure that they get crushed. You know, when we look at, when we look at this here, with Joseph's not on the scene, and so Pharaoh begins to change and begins to look at these people as a threat. In fact, I wrote a few words down. I thought he must have been suspicious at first. Then he got prejudice against them. Then he decides to persecute them. And then he decides what we would use the word, it's genocide. Who would, ta who would order the babies to be killed? And then who would order them to be thrown into the Nile? He's so afraid of these people. He's afraid that they'll join their enemies. He's also afraid that they're going to uh, escape because he wants them as slaves. You know, but I wrote this down. You know, God's plans are unstoppable. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans of welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. In fact, that's the English Standard Version. New King James says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans to, you know, in fact, one of the translations, plans to bless you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. That's God talking. So though Pharaoh has the strongest nation at the time, he's got the strongest military at the time, he is afraid of these people, but here's what we have to know. He's no match for God and God's plans. God's plan is unstoppable. So here's what it means to me. God's plan over my life is unstoppable. Tell your neighbor that. God's plan over your life is unstoppable. But it requires me to tune in and to know what his plan is for my life because he has these thoughts over you to give you a future and to give you a hope. Isn't it interesting that these boys are the target that the devil must have known there must be some deliverer coming in the midst. I love what these two midwives do. They will obey God and not Pharaoh. In fact, it should have, should have said, by faith, these women, right? 
By faith, these women, they believe in God. You know, Psalm 139, 16 and 17 says this. David wrote these down. He says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Isn't it interesting what God sees? Even the unformed, God sees and there's something written down in his book. Isn't it interesting, even in the day that we're living, that who is the most under attacked? It's the unborn children. It's because Satan understands the value of life. And if there's anything that we've got to stand and be strong for, it's the value of life, of children's lives. You know, you would have thought that Pharaoh, here's what I would have said. Hey, I want you to get me every 16, 17, and 18-year-old scrapping boy. We're going to take them out. Because those guys are strong. Wouldn't that, the military guys, right? The ones that are strong. But he goes after these ones that are just born. I love what it says too. These, these midwives say, man, the, the Israel ladies, the, the, you know, they're strong. They're out in the field and then bloop, there's a kid with the corn, right? Here's a baby. Well, if you read on a little in history, the Egyptian wives were pampered, right? Uh, they were perfumed. They were all dressed up. These Israel wives, they're out in the fields. They're having to work hard. In fact, we've read words. They're, they're, everything's bitter. They're out working. And all of a sudden, hey, I think you dropped some. Oh, yeah, it's, it, it's your son. He's right there. You've got to go back and get him. Boy. Well, when we pick this up in uh, Exodus chapter 2, it's now where we see God align and position in uh, a young Hebrew boy that's not named yet, but will be named in just a minute. So Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 says this. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could not hide him any longer, she took him, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bit, bitrum and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. You know, I read that and I underlined that in my Bible. The sister understands exactly what's about to happen. And she's standing at a distance concerned about her little brother, who's three months old, who's going to be put in the river. What would be done to him? Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the river while her, the young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw a child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Well, what should she have done with that little Hebrew boy? Tossed him right into the Nile. Why? That's what her dad said, right? That was Pharaoh. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. 
And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, what? I drew him out of the water. She named him Moses. You know, I was joking uh, this morning with a couple about baby names, and I always say this, you know, Walter is a great name. And I get the same response every time. Everybody laughs. You know, we did a series a little while back, and we were talking about names, names that are changed. And I found out that my name was number one. I believe it was 1868. Uh, my name was number one. But Pharaoh's daughter names him Moses. I also thought, and we won't look at it today, God never changed Moses' name to something else like he did Abram, Sarai, or Jacob. He continues to be Moses because it was a prophetic thing almost over his life from somebody ungodly that would call him drawn out. Because when we read on in Exodus, what does he do? He's going to draw all of those people out. You know, it would seem that if God was going to position Moses and put the peace right in the right place, he was born at the wrong time. Because there was a decree that he should have been killed. You should have put him in another time or an earlier time. But here's what we know. Moses was born at the right place. Moses was born at the right time. Moses, you know, what a cool little thing. You had your own little mini ark that you get to tell like your grandkids about, right? They put, remember the ark? Yeah, I got a little ark. They put me in the ark. And I was screaming. They tell me I was just screaming. You know, I was trying to remember when our kids were three months old what they did. They didn't do much. But you know what I remembered they did? They slept at night. <sighs> do you parents remember that when they finally slept through the night and you woke up in the morning and you ran? And you know what you did? You checked their pulse and you checked to see if they were breathing because they didn't scream all night long. Three months old, smile, they recognize colors, they love to eat, they're starting to do things with their hands, they're not crawling yet. But here's what we do know, they cry. And so Moses' cry was what alerts the daughter of Pharaoh. Isn't it interesting, and I thought that the hardest hearted man is Pharaoh. But he's got a soft hearted daughter that sees this little Hebrew child that should have been thrown into the Nile but she's going to, with the sister's help, find the mother, pay his mother to take care of him. And all of a sudden, this little Moses now, at some point, is going to come back into the palace to be Pharaoh's daughter, named by Pharaoh. And so this hard-hearted, evil man is going to have the deliverer right in his own household. He doesn't even know. That's God that positions people around now, this story probably didn't make sense to his parents. What do you mean? I get him back for a little bit, then I got to give him back? I remember, you know, there's times that we would joke, you know, about the kids doing things. And, you know, you want me to give you to grandma for a while? No, don't give me to grandma for a while. You know, they want to stay with us. You would never want to raise your kid just for a few years and think, well, when they get expensive, maybe you give them back. <laughs> no, you wouldn't do that. You would never do anything. They're your kids. 
She's got to hand him over. And the mother didn't even get to name him. But he's got a significant name. Drawn out. Though we don't read God saying anything in Exodus 1 or 2. There's no mention of the word of the Lord came. There's no mention of God spoke to somebody. Here's what we know. God is always at work, even early in this story. There's not a minute or a moment that God's not present. There's not the toughest times on that nation of Israel that God's not present. He's always at work. He's protecting these little innocent kids. He's present at the birth of Moses. He's present in the little ark. He's present when Pharaoh's daughter sees him. He's present when Moses is back. And he's with Moses in the palace because God always has a plan and he always has a position because God cares and God always sees. If you hear anything today, hear that God always sees. He's mindful of the things and the places that we are. And he's always motivated to take action. He's motivated to move. You know, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, it says this. The Lord said, I have surely seen. Here's a God that sees. I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their suffering. God sees and cares when the people he loves are hurting and oppressed, and he's always motivated to take action and to rescue them. So the same God that cared about Moses cares about you. In fact, look at your neighbor and say, God cares about you. Isn't it also that one of the hardest times in the nation of Israel never erased God's promises over them? Oh, I don't know how. These people are being oppressed and they got, ta I, I just don't know if my, it's going to work. No, what did the people do? They multiplied. They grew. They became strong because of God was always with them. You know, Acts chapter 7, verse 22. You know, we don't read this in the book of Exodus, but uh, we get it. We get it dropped for us in the book of Acts. It says, and Moses was instructed in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his words and deeds. You know, I, I thought about that. All right, let me look up. What, what was Egypt known for in those days? Science, math, agriculture, architecture. I mean, you could go on down writings. They were the empire. Moses was instructed in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and his deeds. He must have had some authority because when we pick up the story uh, next week, he sees a Hebrew one in trouble, and he goes and takes care of the situation. But when God calls him, what is the first thing he says? I, I can't talk right. I need to help her. Isn't it funny that he's educated, educated, but when God gives him an assignment, he struggles. To say, I, 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 I don't know if I, I deliver your people. I, I need help. I need somebody to speak for me. So we should never be concerned of our weaknesses when God gives us an assignment because he's always with you. He's always with you. 
because the assignment always seems too big. I've got to go take all these people. I, I don't know. I can't talk. I've got to bring Aaron. I've got to take somebody. Always go back because God will always give you something large like that. Um, you know, when we read through this story, I think of this. The most accomplished author that we will ever read or study is God himself. He is writing the story of Moses right before our very eyes, placing him in the midst of the palace. And if I can trust what I read here, I can trust that he's writing a story over my life. That you might feel that you're the nation of Israel and you're out and you're being oppressed. You got taskmasters and you have this or you have that or you've been put your own little ark out on the Nile. But God is always at work. He always sees. He's always watchful what's going on. But we have to be watching for him. I love this verse in John chapter 644. And these are Jesus' words. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You know, as I'm reading in here, I'm going back to Moses. Moses means drawn out. Drawn out. Stays with him. Prophetic word over his life. He's going to draw out the people of Israel out of Egypt into their own land. Jesus uses that word that for us to be able to come to the Father, we have to believe the one that draws us to him. You know, God drew you out somehow, somewhere, wherever you were, or even is still drawing you out. He is one of those ones that's constantly drawing you to him. There's that drawing you to him. How many times you see your kids or grandkids or other people's kids, and the first thing you want to do, and you want to go hug them, and when they get older, they don't want you to hug them, but you hug them anyways, right? Because you're drawn to them. There's that drawing that God has in our hearts to draw us to him. God always wanted to be with his people. In fact, I love what Moses says later on there. He tells Pharaoh, he says, um, we just want to leave for a few days and go worship God. Just let us go for a couple days and worship our God. We just want to worship God. Let's leave the land and worship God. He won't let him do it. But God's the one that's drawing. In fact, bow your heads if you would with me today. Lord, we believe with all of our heart that you have placed us where we are. It's not by chance. It's not by mistake. You're the one writing the story. But you're the one that we surrender to. Lord, let us never live my will be done. Let us always live, as Jesus said, your will be done through my life. So, Lord, we stop today and we surrender ourselves to a God that sees, a God that cares, a God that's moving the pieces around, positioning people in certain places, because you always have a plan. But, Lord, we're blessed that we have your words. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. 
that can lead and guide us and direct us. So, Lord, our future, our plans, our dreams, the assignments, the, the words that you've spoken to us in the past and maybe have even spoken to us today, we come before you this day knowing that you are positioning us. As we've been reading, you positioned Noah and you positioned Joseph. You position now Moses at the right time and the right place because that's who you are and that's what you do. And we submit and bow ourselves to that plan today. You're at work. You're always at work. You're moving that peace of our life in the right direction. I also pray today if you're here with every head bowed and every eye closed and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as we ended with that verse, um, we are drawn to the Father God because of his son Jesus. He's always drawing people. He's always reaching out and wanting to get their hearts. He so longs that nobody perishes that they all come to repentance. So would you all pray this prayer along with me as I pray? Ready? Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he lived. And I believe that he died for me. But he rose again. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for bringing me into your family. And thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Oh, so important, if you prayed that today, uh, please come let us pray with you uh, at the end of service. Well, stand with me if you would, all of you that have been